Hello, I'm Mark Tucker. And I'm Alan Furstenberg, and welcome to Two Voice Devs. Two Voice Devs. How's it been hey, going for you, Mark? It's been going fine. It's been a while. I, I, I wasn't on last week. Um, we had a great co-host um, guest in Alarna. Alarna did, did, do a, Alarna did do a fantastic job. We've got an email saying how much they liked her, uh, her presence, but also email asking making sure you were going to return so you had some, oh that's nice some yeah, concern no, out there. I'm, I'm still here <laughs> no so I, I think alarna was uh was our first trial to see how guest hosting would do and i think uh, it went well so we're hoping to get more guest hosts on in the future to get a, a nice broad range of perspectives yeah sometimes it will be alan that's uh, taking a week off and sometimes it'll be me so that sounds good yeah no great job um Looking forward to other developers that we can get on and learn their perspective and their experience or their story, uh, any of that. So, uh, so if there's someone you would like to, people would like to see on, yeah. we're we're open ears. We're well, looking for anyone who wants to talk. <laughs> Let us know. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, what do you do, Alan, when uh, you're in your code and things just aren't quite working right? Uh, uh, so, so we're talking about debugging. Oh yes, uh, <laughs> the the bane of every developer's <laughs> existence. Yeah, there's there's the you know the the good and the bad, right? With with development, and there's a lot of fun parts, and sometimes tracking down a problem via debugging is 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 fun. And sometimes when it lasts for a couple of days, it's not so fun. <laughs> but um, yep, yeah. So let's I don't know. Let's talk about some of the things that we do. Uh, maybe some of the tools that we use, um, or just uh, strategies. Whatever I don't know. Whatever comes comes up. Uh, you know, one one of the toughest parts is that certainly for the way skills and actions work, they're running on a server, so you can't just you know attach a debugger to them and step through the code step by step. And you need to return in like five or seven seconds. So you can't freeze on a line and stare at it and contemplate it and query for variables because suddenly everything will stop working. And <laughs> so, no, it's tough. It, uh, debugging uh, skills and actions can be a challenge. And so let's make sure that we know what we're talking about. So I develop in JavaScript and you typically develop? Mostly in JavaScript as well. Okay. So we're, we're playing from the same playbook here. All right, so that's good. So uh, maybe we can uh, pass on some, some tips. Um, one of the things that, you know, I guess most people know that I, I use Jovo quite a bit in development for cross-platform stuff. And there is a Jovo CLI that comes with, um, well, I guess two things, a debugger and a proxy. So if you've used Ooh. something like ngrok, where you can expose your local machine um, publicly on the internet, because um, that's what you would have to do in some cases to, to debug things locally is, is make it look like to Alexa that this thing is just a regular service out there, but then it's actually um, being redirected down to your box. Well, that's baked in with the Jovo CLI. So if you do Jovo run, um, and you, um, th then you can you know, have a built-in proxy that, that goes to that. Plus, in the middle of that proxy, Jovo has added a web page that they call the debugger. So it records all your requests and your responses and gives you a nice view. Um, 
into you know just the conversation flow, but also what the state is, what the request looks like, what the response is, what's, what values are in session state, what values are in the database. So very tight, nice integration, which, which helps quite a bit. No, I can see how that's very helpful. I know that NGROC also has similar pages and that just shows mm -hmm. request and response though. It doesn't show database state, um, except in Google, it can show the session state, the user state, other stuff that's in there, but that's because it's part of the session. Right. So that's, yeah, it's, in, it's interesting. Um, so basically Jovo took NGROC and then um, adds, added some features that were voice specific features. Yeah, plus it up a bit. No, that's useful. I know, but uh, I know one of the things that I do a lot and I'm, I'm sure you do it a lot too because I think everyone does this is the simple old console log, right? Yes. We're, we just start littering our code with console log all over the place. And since we're dealing with objects, we need to start printing, we need to JSON stringify them. And that starts turning into a mess, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely can, you know, and, and if you just do a console log everywhere, then that's always in your code. Um, so um, there's a library that I use that allows uh, me to expose different log levels. So I can turn on through an environment variable if I want to do things like tracing or debug level, where maybe I'll get into some details, like if I get a response back from an API call, I'll log that, or the request object that's being passed in. So that's detail that when I wanna flip on the switch and go all the way down into debug mode, then I'll get that detail. Um, but then there's other just uh, higher level informational things that, uh, that I may not log as much detail, but I could still have that, uh, you know, Good old CloudWatch for those that are hosting their code in Lambda. Mm -hmm. um, I can go into CloudWatch and do a search for for things there. Right, and that's particularly useful when you're running it. In, you know, when you've got it in production and you start getting reports that there are problems, because then we can turn those things on and start monitoring them a little bit closer. Yeah, for those intermittent things, that's that's problematic though, because you know, you either just leave it on for a while and and. You know, get huge logs. <laughs> get huge logs or, and, and find it. One of the things that I do that I've, that I've started doing is that there is a um, company out there called Sentry.io and they do like exception logging. And so um, I'll add that into my project and keep that live. So whenever there's an unhandled exception or um, I can even, there's certain times where I, when I explicitly write out a log of a certain situation happens, then it shows up in the console for, for Sentry. Um, so then I'd, I don't necessarily have to go back into or like do all the console log stuff. It captures a stack trace and some other things and I can, and it starts grouping things together. So if I see a problem over and over again, then I start getting some additional information and I can go in and actually fix it. Hmm, um, that makes sense. That, yeah. one, one of the things that I do as well is I have, um, I have part of one of the things that multivocal lets me do is it lets me run functions after I've returned the code. So it can take a little bit extra time to do things. I don't need to worry about getting everything done on oh, a time sensitive seconds, budget. Yeah. So what I do is I've set it up so that it takes a number of the, um, the things that have been computed during an exchange and logs them to Google Bigtable. And included oh. in that are things like what intent was triggered, um, what action was triggered by that intent, what scene were we in 
if we're an action builder? Um, what outent did uh, did we use? Which choice did we pick? Um, okay. And which user ID was it? You know, a, a bunch of other additional information, none of it PII, but all of it that I can log so that later if someone comes to me and says, hey, I tried using this yesterday around three o'clock and it didn't work, I can say, oh, well, let me go pull up your session and see what the values were at each stage and what, yeah. you know, what was happening. And I could say, well, you know, you said no, and this is what happened. And I know what you said because I logged what you said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get the extra advantage on Google to, that you actually know exactly what they said as opposed to on, on Alexa, what at least what the intent was that right. got matched in slot values. Yeah, but that, regardless, you get helpful. the intent, and that's that's useful to to know because it's the intent that is changing the state. Yep. So you get to see how does the state progress at each at each level, and how did we get to where we ended up that's causing the problem? Yeah. No. Definitely. Definitely helpful um, to be able to get into that that detail. Um, yeah. So. So tell me a little bit more about Bigtable. What is what is that? Um... Bigtable is, I mean, it's it's one of Google's first products. It's really just a, I guess nowadays we would call it a data lake, or okay. something like that. But basically, it's just a, it's meant as a database where you are mostly writing data or querying data, and you're doing very little data manipulation. Okay. So it's it's meant to just ton dump data into it you know their analytics product uses big table behind the scenes okay um and that, that's really mostly what it's meant for so you can dump a bunch of stuff there and then just filter based on various parameters in it um i do the same logging that goes to uh i forget what google calls it now because they changed the name a bunch of times but basically they've got a, a product that is specific for logging it might even be called cloud logging now um, where you just dump a, a bunch of parameters and then can query and say, show me all of the events that match these parameters. Right. And it'll say, here's, you know, for the past three hours, and it'll show them. And then you can say, well, give me more info on this one. Show me all of these parameters for this, for this event. No, that's interesting. Um... What I've started doing, because uh, I do do CloudWatch and I do look look in CloudWatch, and that's you know, that could be good or bad. If it's a during a uh, particular time where only one person's using it, then it's, you get a pretty straight flow. But it, you know, if multiple people are are hitting it um, fairly you know close to the same time, then you get their logs intermixed with with right. other logs, and so then you try have to try to find you know kind of what the the common Goo it is that that links that session and then try to find all the things that are in that session and but I, I didn't want to mix in you know Google responses with Bixby responses with Alexa responses and so I I actually on purpose set up three different lambdas even though they're running the exact same code then I've got one instance that just handles all Google requests and it can scale you know as it needs to with how many users we have on Google same with Alexa. Um, so that way, at least everything's like, like type in in CloudWatch. I, yeah, it lets you filter uh, it down a little bit. Yeah. So then, when I'm searching something, then at least I know I'm kind of dealing with the same, 
all the same type of data. It was getting a little unwieldy when I just had everything in the same, you know, CloudWatch log. Um, I figure when, when I start getting to that point, one of the parameters I will end up logging is what, what platform yep. it is. Exactly. And then I can just filter based on platform equaling or not equaling something. Yeah, that's good. So we've got uh, being able to, you know, run code locally and with NGROC or, or some other way of, of directing things down and, and it actually runs pretty good um, on local machine because with Visual Studio Code, I can set breakpoints, I can yeah. attach to the, the process. And so I can at least get into the request. Now maybe the rest of the stuff fails as far as the request, but then I could, I can still debug and step into my logic, whether it be you know calling something in a database or an API or something, and then uh, you know checking the responses or or different things, so that that's helpful. Um, now here's a slightly leading question for you. Yeah, you usually set up tests for your code. Hmm, it depends. On some projects, I've been very good at writing unit tests. And yes, so I'm, I'm I'm still absolutely thrilled and in awe of the fact that speech markdown had fantastic tests. <laughs> Thank you. And actually one of my voice games um, had tests. Um, and so uh, it's interesting that, you know, it, it definitely takes more work and you have to set things up uh, with, um, you know, a, with different tools. I'm trying to remember the names now, um, but just different, basically just JavaScript testing tools. And then um, uh, being able to write code in such a way that uh, I don't, inside of my handlers, I don't call APIs directly. I wrap them in things that I call services. And so then I could mock out services and return, you know, specify what the, the data is that's going to come back from those. And so then I can write uh, tests that run through and, and uh, you know, test the, the handlers, the code in the handlers without having to make uh, API calls out to things or change, change things in the database or, or whatnot. Mm -hmm. So so that's, that's been helpful, knocking things out. Um, so that's been a helpful. One of, one of the interesting things is that Google recently released a test library for yeah. the assistant. So it, and it, it literally what it does is it makes assistant calls. So it's acting like it was an assistant. So you oh, can say things like, you know, start a session, say this, check to see if the response was one of these five or six different strings because you can have multiple responses. Check to see if the session state contains this value. Then say this, and then check all of these things. Then say this, check all of these things. So is it actually running, or is it just simulating? No, it's actually it's running. It's, it's making a network call to the assistant. Interesting. And the library, although the test library itself is meant to be used for testing, it's, it's basically it contains a bunch of stuff to assist with the examining the results and verifying the results. It's built on top of a library that is just meant to call the assistant. So you could in theory embed the assistant in anything using this in theory. In theory. Well, that's interesting because um, what, what I use for unit testing is uh, bespoken tools. Um, they have uh, a library that you know the same type of thing you you issue you know this is you're, you're going to send this um you know intent um and sometimes you can you know get away with just this is the string that you would say and sometimes you need to actually code the intent and 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 specify which uh 
slots that you're passing, but then you get back uh, an, an object that, that then is the, you know, the response. So it, mm -hmm. it doesn't actually make um, the call. So you're not you know, really running your NLU, but what it does is it's able to figure out um, based on, on, you know, your different lists of utterances and how they map to intents what's being called. And then it, it's able to you know, simulate making those calls into those um, those handlers. Um, so very very useful and and you know a great library. It's uh, they have a, a version for both uh, Alexa and Google Assistant, so it, it can simulate either. And that's and so you then spoken, then right? you just use your Mocha and your Chai. See, I remembered uh, <laughs> to uh, to do your unit testing. Um, there there also are some. Um, I guess kind of scripting or, or YAML based testing where you can set up, um, you call this and this is what you expect to get back. Um, I have seen some of that. I can't remember who the, the platforms are though. Yeah. So, so Bespoken has a, kind of a next level tool, which is more of their, their integration uh, testing where you're actually are going to make calls against, um, a, you know, a version of the assistant or the uh, Alexa skill and, and execute things. Um, and then that turns into the ability to set up certain tests that you run periodically. So now you're monitoring your your skills and your actions to make sure that they're running on a regular basis or that they're behaving um, like you expect. Um, and then and then you go into the you know kind of the full blown robot that Bespoken has, where it actually is recording the device to, and has yeah. a speaker a speaker and a microphone, and it's. It's recording screen captures and you know taking audio and doing text to speech um, to get the the transcript of the interaction. So that's that's another interesting. But they they kind of they cover all the way from uh, unit testing all the way up to this uh, test robot that tests any device that uh, that you have. It doesn't it just treats it like it's a, you know just a kind of a testing environment. So that's um, interesting. I I knew about their more advanced stuff. I didn't know about their simpler testing tools. Yeah, so if you if you guys are you know just getting into uh, testing things, definitely check out Bespoken. There's a number of good um, articles out there, or just hit up John Kelvey or others on uh, um, on Twitter. I'm sure, he or Emerson or anybody else would be happy to to get you going on looking into Bespoken and what to do with that. Uh, and despite all that, we still have trouble testing this stuff, don't we? <laughs> it's, it's, it can definitely be a challenge. It's it is interesting um, writing, you know, tests for that because, you know, like, you might have variability in your response. So let's say that I've got uh, some translations that come back, and maybe it's, uh, you know, welcome is is the name of the the text, but I set it up as an array where it picks up a number of different values. So it could be welcome, welcome back, welcome Mark, I'm glad to see you. It could be lots of different things, and so. You know, there's a number of different ways that you can tackle that. One way is that you, you know, set up some regular expressions or something to try to figure out, you know, here is a list of possible things that it could say or, you know, fragments that would indicate that you've got the right thing going. Um, but interestingly enough, the approach that I take is I, um, I basically turn off just for the unit tests the actual translations. And so what it does is it gives you back the key that it's going to use to look up the stuff. And so then I just check to see if the, if the response uh, includes this key. It might include multiple keys, 
uh, but then I just can you know check to see if the string mm -hmm. coming back includes this this key that I'm looking for, which is usually all in uppercase. And then I'm like, oh, I got my welcome message. See, so that's interesting. I do so. The latest version of multivocal, I made some stuff that would work that was meant to work well with the new testing library, Google's new testing library. So one of the things that it can do, if you flip debug on, uh -huh. is it will uh, you now let you specify additional values that you want to send back as part of the session response in a special debug set. Ooh. So you and uh, once you do that, it also includes which intent was replied, which outtent was used, which set of those responses it could be, and which one of the responses was selected. So if you've got a list of five or six, it'll tell you, you know, so I chose uh, from from this response set, I chose number four this time. Okay. So now you can just test, okay, it's response set, you know, outtent error. No, that makes what, perfect sense, yeah. But what it also lets you do is let's this now and this is not something that i give you the direct ability to do but it now lets you run it multiple times to make sure you have full coverage oh okay yeah because there is certainly the possibility that you've created a response that could throw an error yes that is possible so this makes sure that or this it doesn't make sure but it now gives you a way to if you need to or want to check all the you know make sure you've checked all the responses or right. at least know that you didn't check some response yeah so, th so that's an interesting point so once um once you start getting into unit testing then the next step is to you know plug in a report that you know checks your code to see what kind of code coverage you have and so yeah. then you start to see oh i don't have very good code coverage in this this area so then you you know try to figure out either a way to, to refactor or redesign it or um, add tests or, or be okay with the, the fact that there aren't tests in that, that area, but. Right, um, and, and what this also lets you do is make sure that the values that you're using that go into the response. So yeah. for example, you know, if you say you have five oranges, well, the five and the oranges are two separate values. Yes. That you, you wanna test and make sure those values are set correctly. And doing that as part of string testing just becomes a pain. <laughs> yeah, something else that I've I've done in my code, which is, um, it, I have uh, an environment variable that that lets you know if you're like if you're unit testing or not. So um, it's only set on the the console, and so uh, because this the the bespoken um, tool you can set up a request and then you get a response back and you can check, you know, what's in the response, whether what's in the output text or, or other things. But there might be times when you're doing tests where you want to set up a certain scenario where the code's in a certain position and it's hard to do that. You don't want to necessarily have to do that by going through every mm -hmm. request. I want to go to this intent, which calls this intent, which sets this value, which calls this intent. You want to set up a situation where you're just, setting things well you don't have access to the jovo object which has a lot of goodness on it um, inside of those tests and so what i've done is in um, uh, at the beginning of each of my handlers then i write i have a little piece of code that i run which behind the scenes it checks to see if it's uh that it's in local uh, test mode and if it is 
then there's there's actually a null handler, just a null function that it calls, a callback that just doesn't do anything. But I can, inside my test, I can get access to that. I kind of like intercept that function call and then I can return back. I get access to the Jovo object so I can set values um, in the session or user uh, storage or other things that I need. And then I run my test. So then I really have access to, to tweak my test. I'm, I'm in exactly this position. And so now I'm gonna test what the response is in that position. And that, that helps quite a bit. That makes sense, yeah. You know, I, I think what this is, a lot of what this is telling me is that testing and debugging are a lot harder in voice than they are in other environments. <laughs> yeah, there are definitely more moving parts. Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, in some cases you just get the request and the response and they have to get creative and figuring out, you know, there's multiple rounds or ways that I, I finally got to the part where what I'm doing now and that seems to work reasonably well just by adding extra code at the, at the beginning. Um, you know, but what that goes to show of like if you're doing something like uh, TypeScript, which has this concept of aspects where you can decorate different uh, functions with some sort of a you know thing that's going to get called, you get you actually get access to the function and you say, oh, this this function's been decorated with this aspect, then you could you know maybe do additional things um, easier. I, I don't use a lot of TypeScript, but I do, I have done some. Uh, some aspects for some from some different things just to prove the concept out and that's that's also something that you could do that's a good point but there's <laughs> lots of different yeah there's lots of different uh tools one of the reasons why i use um like mocha and chai over something like jest is that um my understanding anyway or at least my experience has been that jest runs lots of things in parallel but sometimes I want to just get down to, I don't want to run all my unit tests. I want to run just this particular unit test that I'm working on. And so um, I, can, I can decorate just that uh, test with a, um, with a label that lets me just uh, you know, execute just that one. And so, so it's, it's interesting because then I can, I can run the unit test and I can set a breakpoint and just debug right into that unit test sometimes mm -hmm. to, to debug my unit tests. See, and I think running in parallel runs certainly the problem that the, the advantage to running in parallel sometimes, and this is sometimes, yeah. is one of the, I know one of the bugs I see a lot of people doing is they, they accidentally slip in global variables yes. into their, uh, their designs, or I've, I've probably done it a dozen times and not realized it until two people try calling it at the same time and you're getting other people's sessions. Yeah. And that's, that's true. That's a big problem. So and that would be something that you could find like in a, in a jest where it was running parallel tests. You, you run it, everything works fine, and then you run it again without any changes and it breaks. You're like, okay, something's out of right. sequence. And, and you're like, okay, that's a problem in itself. I think of all the problems I've seen people who are, usually it's people who are new to web-based programming because they're you know, the, the web server side, because they're not used to the notion that you're running in an environment where lots of people's code can be running at the same time. Right. Well, and it, and it did take me a while to at the beginning to think, okay, this, this particular code is being hosted in an instance of Lambda and it could be running my code and it could be running somebody else's code, you know, flip flopping in between turns. So we, you know, we could be synced up just right where my turn one, is processed and somebody else's turn one is processed and then my turn two and then their turn two, you know, and it's, 
So there, it, it really is stateless and, you know, you have to do other, you know, things like uh, session or storing things in user storage um, right. or, you know, you know some, it, something it really, else to make sure that, that you, you don't, you know, crash with other people's data. Right. It really does take you, you're having to think just a little bit to, to reframe how you think about scoped variables. Cause it's in some yeah. ways, it's a very different scope than, the traditional programming scopes we're used to. Yeah. But there are times when like, if you, maybe you have all your translations in an S3 bucket and when the instance starts up, you know, the instance in Lambda could be around for 20 minutes and it could be processing hundreds of different things, but those, those uh, you know, translations aren't going to change. Right. You they're want the, them sa they're the same for everybody. So, so there is an improvement if you do it once when the, when the whole process starts up and then uh, just keep using it. Right. So. But it's still, these are, we, we, I guess we're going to have another, I think we should have another show on tricks like this. <laughs> so oh, something uh, else I do, I have just thought about it is that also when I'm doing my Sentry IO stuff, um, you can set up Sentry if you, if you, you know, you, there's a free version of Sentry, which is what I use. Um, and if you, you know, are doing this professionally, then you can buy the you know, professional version of it, which, you know, costs you some change. Um, but it has the ability to not only log um, to the Sentry website, but it can notify you in various ways, one of them being Slack. Well, mm -hmm. if you want to do the poor man's way of <laughs> doing that, then um, I've written both, uh, you know, and there are plugins available if you do Jovo, but you could have both a Sentry plugin and a Slack plugin where I have um, a, a certain channel set up for Slack and then um, each of the different messages that come in are um, are messages. So it would it would log not only uh, to the Sentry but also to Slack when there's an error. And uh, I've set it up with environment variables to say if this is the debug version, then the color is I don't know orange. If it's the staging environment, then it's yellow. And if it's the uh, production, production environment, it's red. It's red. And so, so, oh, and then, um, then I can just watch my Slack channel and, you know, when something happens, I'm like, Oh, I got to go look at this. <laughs> so yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So we would love to hear what, what, um, like debugging tricks you have, what tools you use, um, whether it be on the unit testing or, you know, more of the, uh, integration testing side of things or, or how you handle and, bugs in production and yeah, what you're doing just, for observability and, and similar tools like that. Yeah, definitely. Would uh, uh, teach us uh, what other things. You know, we haven't uh, thought of everything. I'm sure, and and you know, you might just have an idea that we want to go ahead and implement it on our next project. So so please share. And uh, until then, we are two voice devs. Two voice devs. Take care, everybody. Take care. Have a good rest of the week, Alan. You too, Mark. Thank you.